listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Keep Going Podcast. Right now we're in a series called Walk Through the Psalms, and today our focus is on Psalms 50 through 56. Just a note, I use the New Living Translation as my primary text because it's readable, and I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. Let's review last week's podcast in two points. Number one, we found connections between Exodus and book two of the Psalms as we have been so far. And this time we saw the way that God trained Moses to lead through 40 years of growing up in Egypt and through 40 years of working as a shepherd. Number two, we looked at how faithful God is to us when we are being prepared for a new task. He speaks to us if we're willing to listen to his voice. Last week, a friend told me something endearing that her 12-year-old son said to her. He had disobeyed behind her back in a way that she'd given him clear instructions not to do several times. His secret disobedience nagged at him. There was tension in his tender heart, and his conscience would not let him off the hook. Finally, he came to her and said, God has been itching me to tell you something, and he proceeded to confess. He said, God has been itching me, she laughed as she told me about it. I think he meant God has been convicting me. But the more I thought about it, the more itching seemed like the better word. It reminds me of another friend who went through a difficult situation the last couple of years. His close friend and work colleague, we'll call him Jason, embezzled funds from his company for seven years. But because Jason is a Christian and the Holy Spirit is living inside of him, there was tension in his tender heart. He couldn't continue the duplicity without inner strain. God was itching him. Eventually, he confessed to his misconduct, and now an extraordinary healing process has begun for him personally, for his family, and for the friend he betrayed. I've even been blessed by the spiritual lessons he's shared about God's faithfulness to pull him out of sin and God's miraculous power to rebuild him into the man he was meant to be. Jason has been generous in writing his story of God's goodness, and as I've followed along his journey and the journey of my friend, who let the Lord bring him to forgiveness after suffering such a tremendous loss, I have been amazed to retrace the steps. Jason only meant to take the money once, and then he was going to pay it back. That was his plan. It was almost like borrowing, he told himself. At first... Then, before he realized it, the problem was growing and growing, and he couldn't deny what it really was. God's itching had begun in Jason immediately. It's just that he learned how to scratch the itch. Jason would feel terrible discomfort when anything reminded him that he was stealing from someone who trusted him, but he would dismiss it by filling his life with other distractions, by even more sin, or by telling himself that he could and would eventually make it right. He thought he wouldn't have to confess. He thought there would be a way to fix the situation without hurting anyone. Humans cannot fix the sin problem. 
Why don't we get that by now? We cannot fix any sin problem, not the sin problem and not the sin problems that we create ourselves in our own lives. Healing didn't begin for Jason until he uncovered his wound. See, sin is a disruption to our spirits, the way that a gash is a disruption to our bodies. On our bodies, wounds need treatment or infection sets in and becomes more difficult to address. You can't just hide a wound under a shirt sleeve. Wounds left untreated cause deeper pain and deeper scarring. If the infection gets bad enough, you could even lose the whole arm. In the same way, sin needs treatment or infection sets in and it becomes more difficult to address. Sin left untreated leads to deeper pain and deeper scarring. If the infection becomes bad enough, you could even lose something that cannot be recovered. Jason knows that if he had addressed the problem the moment he felt God itching him, he could have avoided the complications of his recovery. Instead, he scratched the itch in various ways for seven years. And from his place of restoration and wholeness today, I think he would tell you, stop trying to scratch the itch, friend. God's itch won't go away. When you read through Psalms 50 through 56 last week, you moved through one of the most well-known psalms of all. Psalm 51 is the heart cry of David when he is tired of scratching the itch of his sin. In Psalm 51, the king comes clean. You know the story. David takes another man's wife while her husband Uriah is deployed. Like Jason did, David feels terrible. He knows he shouldn't have done it, and he probably swears that it will be the only time. No one would have to know. But before he realizes it, the problem starts growing and growing because that's the nature of sin. Left untreated, infection sets in. So Bathsheba drops a bombshell. She's pregnant. And David hides the wound of his sin under a shirt sleeve. His winsome plan is to call Uriah home from the battlefield and let him have some R&R at home. Then, maybe, he'll think that the baby is his. But it doesn't happen that way. Uriah is five times the soldier that David thinks him to be. He chooses to sleep on the palace steps and refuses to go home while his men are still fighting in the field. Still, David doesn't deal with the problem. He scratches the itch again. He sends Uriah back to the battle. And then he gives a special order to the Israelite commander, his fierce nephew, Joab. Put Uriah on the front line, he tells him. Then pull back. Joab gets the picture. If he follows his orders, he knows he's becoming an accomplice to murder. Oh, David, why did you keep scratching the itch? When there is discomfort in our spirits, it is because God wants us to seek treatment. It is for our health, not for our shame. And that treatment can be found in the community of believers. If David had confessed his sin to just one other person with the intent to pursue healing, things would have ended better. It's rarely the sin itself that causes destruction. It's letting it go untreated. As you know, Uriah dies. Later, David and Bathsheba's infant son also dies as a consequence of their long, unrepentant sin. David writes Psalm 51 as a response when God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David and to get him to do what he should have done in the first place, confess. He confesses the adultery, he confesses the murder, 
and finally his healing can begin. I gotta tell you, I love David. He was strong-hearted enough to kill a lion and a bear with his bare hands and soft-hearted enough to sing some of the sweetest songs ever written. He is a man through and through, full of flaws and also full of greatness. God saw David's heart and said that it was good. That's hard for some people to swallow, usually women. I was talking with someone once who said she just couldn't stand David. The adultery, the murder, his choices were just too much of a disappointment to her. You know, people mention the adultery and the murder, but I've never heard anyone ever mention the identity theft. And that's the thing that bothers me the most. Have you thought about the way it almost worked out? What if David's first attempt at a cover-up had been successful? What if when he called Uriah home for some R&R, Uriah had actually gone home to be with Bathsheba and later he thought the baby was his? That scenario is most disturbing for me. David is willing for his son to grow up without the knowledge of his true identity. He doesn't mind the idea that his son will live in a normal neighborhood when he belongs in a palace. He doesn't mind the idea that his son will not know his real name. He does not mind the idea that his son will not receive his rightful inheritance. He does not mind the idea that his son will not grow and learn from his father's intimate friendship with God and receive the benefit of his teaching. One day I was wondering where David would get an idea, like recklessly disregarding his offspring, and realized that it happened to him a little bit. When the prophet Samuel came to Jesse to anoint one of his sons as the next king of Israel, he presents seven of his sons before Samuel. But Jesse had eight sons. David, the youngest, was left out. Jesse didn't even mention David until Samuel asked if there were any more sons. And this wasn't just because the sheep needed tending. Later, when David went off to fight Goliath, he left the sheep with another shepherd as a substitute. It could have been done in this case, too. The thing is, Jesse isn't the one calling the shots for David's life. God is. And I'm not saying anything negative about Jesse, except that he didn't exactly recognize his son's potential, his destiny, or identity. But thankfully, God has the last and only word. Man looks on the outward appearance, God said of David. But God looks on the heart. I have chosen a man after my own heart. I'm told that the other day my five-year-old nephew scooted up to my brother and said, I love sitting close to my real fake father. You're what? My brother asked. Well, you're my real fake father, my nephew answered, because God is my real father. Okay, he may not have had the right terminology at such a young age, but he had the right theology. You and I do not get our identity from our earthly fathers, no matter how bad or how good they have been. The role of an earthly father is important beyond what we can fathom, but our identity comes from our heavenly father. What Jesse did not see in his son, God did. And God's word stood. That Jesse, he really had no idea of what was going to happen through his lineage. The royal identity of his family was only beginning with David, and he couldn't even see that. How could God have explained that much later, from the line of Jesse, there would come another, greater descendant? 
not just a king, but the king of kings, Jesus. And that's what kind of stings me about David's plan of identity theft for his son with Bathsheba. By then, David should have known that God saw great worth in every person and that God had a great plan for his son, no matter the circumstances of his conception. And what does identity theft have to do with confession? Confession is the way I started this whole episode. Well, it has everything to do with it. What confession is, is returning to our true identity in Christ. Okay, our touchstone verse in Psalms is Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. David was created with a clean heart and a right spirit. That was his true identity. When God saw a king in that shepherd in a field, it was because I look on the heart. I have chosen a man with one like my own. By covering up his sin, David was trying to operate with a wounded heart and a broken spirit, which he was never meant to do. He needed confession because he needed to return to his true identity. So far in this walk through the Psalms series, I've been connecting book two of the Psalms to the book of Exodus, and it happens again here so beautifully. In Exodus 15, the Israelites have left Egypt, making it through the Red Sea, and they're not in the desert long before they ache with thirst. They find a pool of water at a place called Mara, but it is bitter and they can't drink it. What is bitter water? Does that mean it was stagnant, full of mosquitoes and algae? I don't know. Whatever it was, it wasn't drinkable, and the people cry out to the Lord. Then he shows Moses a branch, telling him to throw it in the water. When the branch hits that pool, the water becomes sweet, and the people are nourished by clean water. This is the picture of what happens when we confess. And this is the double-sided lesson in today's episode. Number one, your identity comes from God, your heavenly father, and no earthly father or mother can interfere. Number two, God, your maker and the source of your identity, can restore you to that identity anytime you have neglected to live as who and whose you are. That's what sin really is, neglecting to live as who and whose we are. Many times in the Bible, our hearts are referred to as water. In Lamentations, we're told to pour out our hearts like water in the presence of the Lord. In Proverbs, we read that we are to guard our hearts because they are the deep wellspring from which our lives flow forth. And also in Proverbs, we read that God can turn someone's heart like a watercourse. In John, there's good news that anyone who believes in Jesus has rivers of living water flowing from within him. Sin makes the water of our hearts as bitter and ineffective in the kingdom as that pool of undrinkable water was to the Israelites. But when we cry out to the Lord as David did, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Then we are reaching out to the one who can make bitter water sweet, the one who can make stagnant water clean. And how does he do it? Well, in Exodus, God showed Moses a branch and told him to apply it to the bitter water. He does the same for us. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, we read, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. 
The word branch is capitalized, and what follows is a description of the ministry of Jesus. Dear friends, when a bitter heart needs to be made sweet, God shows us a branch. And when we apply that branch to our ineffective hearts, they become fresh again. He makes the stagnant clean. There's more for us in that verse in Isaiah. Through the description of Jesus' ministry, something stands out, especially in the light of following the story of Moses in Exodus. Just two chapters later, the Israelite community is thirsty again, and Moses cries out to God for another solution. God said, take your rod and strike this rock, and water will come pouring out. Then it happened just as the Lord had said. Do you think it is coincidence that right after Isaiah writes that a branch will come from Jesse, he also writes, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Jesus wants fresh, sweet, clean, nourishing water to pour forth from every heart on this earth. And the way he accomplishes this is through putting himself into our hearts. He is the righteous branch. And by striking the rock of this earth with the rod of his mouth. The word of God is not just a book. It actually causes life to flow in us. Lord, let it flow. from Psalm 51 by Shane and Shane and is used with permission. If you're not on my email list, please go to nikamaples.com to sign up and receive your Psalms reading schedule and a free hope poster each month. And now, we believe that hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going. Wisdom in the secret heart